You're listening to the GameStrategy.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and this week I'm joined by... Marie D'Alessandri. I'm Danielle Partis. Jeffrey Russo. Brendan Sinclair. And Chris String. We're going to be talking about the biggest stories of the past week. Uh, actually, slightly further back. Let's go with our first piece. Um, we're going to be talking about the, the interview between David Jaffe and John Garvin, the director of Days Gone. Uh, this is actually from just over a week ago, maybe bordering on two weeks um but it, it quite is it prompted quite the the discourse on twitter and uh we've featured it in our this week is in business column which brendan can kind of go into a little bit later um it is a four hour interview but there was one section uh, one quote which did the rounds uh it was this is from john garvin i do have an opinion on something that your audience might find of interest and it might piss some of them off if you love a game buy it at full fucking price I can't tell you how many times I've seen gamers say, yeah, I got that on sale. I got it through PS Plus or whatever. Um, now, this quote alone, just kind of taken, not out of context, but like taken just specifically this bit, uh, prompted the conversation of, uh, and even even in the actual interview, David Jaffe instantly refer, replies, well, how do you know you love a game if you haven't bought it at full price? And, you know, How do you know you love a game before you've even bought it? And Garvin then kind of almost dismisses that and just like, I'm, all I'm saying is like, just just support games at launch. Just buy them at launch. Buy them, you know, day one, week one, whatever. Um, and this prompted kind of the conversation. It's like, well, why? Why should people buy them at launch? Why do people need to buy them at full price? Um, I mean, pricing is something we've dealt with a lot here. Um Brendan, kind of, you made some good points, and you you delved further into this in uh, this week in business. Do you want to do you want to elaborate? Sure. Uh, the The thing about this comment that gets me is, uh, aside from the obvious, like you know, lack of logic to loving a game before you've played it, um, is is it really speaks to like the kind of AAA marketing mindset we've developed in in video games, where they they just try and and sell you on something and and create a fan base and passion for a project and and this you know eagerness to go out and buy the collector's edition of a, a new game and a, a a new series that no one's played or heard of before and like yeah you're supposed to be that invested in it right off the bat and and he doesn't even it's 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 telling, I think, that he he's seems that it's it's almost entitled to that. Like that's just the way it works in in a lot of ways, um, and that's that's bothersome to me. I, I I think because it doesn't it doesn't account for you know the people don't have money to support every single game that comes out that they might conceivably be interested in. And if the marketing fails to interest them in the game, then, you know, why are you, why are you kicking them for it when they wait for a sale or, or they get it through PlayStation plus, you know, a, they are a subscriber to Sony and they are paying Sony money for this. And Sony gives them these games and, you know, why is the developer of this game taking exception to, to that, you know, that sort of business arrangement where his his employer or former employer clearly saw value in it the customer clearly saw value in it and someone got to play the game that wouldn't otherwise and so like i i get the the sort of like instinctive negative reaction 
that a lot of people had to this this statement. But like listening to the interview and going back and reading through um, videogameschronicle.com did the like most extensive write up of highlights from the interview, I guess. And and I I listened to a chunk of the interview as well and heard some of this firsthand, but the VGC article um, captures a number of perspectives in there that were very eyebrow raising and the entire the entire thing like taken together they just they present this really um this this view of the industry which which doesn't really reflect the way the industry works today and it starts with with this this criticism of people that didn't buy it at full price because i think that the AAA market especially it's not like it used to be it's it's not Im- imperative to have your game sell boatloads of copies in the first 6 weeks because after that retailers aren't going to carry it on their shelves anymore unless it was a massive hit and you had to get like everything you were going to sell in that first 6 weeks because of digital distribution and the shelf lives uh sub- subscription and the shelf space sorry subscription programs like playstation live or xbox game pass and just longer tales for all these games in general like you don't need to come out of the gates and blow everyone away anymore there's there's so much more to a game's life than that that initial uh period and it might it might still be important for a triple a game like days gone where they don't have a games as a service scheme it's uh, a single player narrative driven blockbuster um and having engagement in the long run doesn't really benefit it any more than just you know getting word of mouth out there and, and maybe sparking some some extra sales but it, it's still it's still just such a um an, an old way of viewing the industry and I'm I'm not saying that it's like, you know, uh, that it's better this way, or or that it the industry needed to change on that front, but it's just not not the way things run now, where engagement is the name of the game and has been for for a generation. Hmm. I'm going to defend him slightly. Sure. I didn't listen to the whole interview. I am, I am, I am, naturally, I'm going to be contrary. No, I didn't listen to the whole interview. Um, <laughs> and I only listened to the bit that has been quoted around. And he is a game developer, not a business person. And Brendan's right in terms of everything he says about the way the industry's changed. But if anything, he's kind of, he's not, he wasn't wrong about Days Gone. And he also doesn't talk about people who didn't buy the game full price. He specifically talks about people who didn't buy the game at full price who demanded a sequel. He was particularly talking about people that wanted more. And he's like, well, you're not going to get more because we didn't sell enough at full price um, to, to justify the business model, which is the problem AAA, um, AAA single play, that sort of type of games had for, well, ever since the pre-owned market blew up. And, and, and the truth is that games ended up in the pre-owned bins in a month. So if you didn't sell your game in that first month, you, um, uh, you, you, the legacy business is gone, so you had no opportunity to do it. Now, that's not true anymore, as Brendan quite rightly points out. The legacy business is back because of digital, because of um, uh, PS Plus. And there's a good chance, like, you know, David Jaffe actually talks about it shortly after, the, um, after that bit. He talks about the fact that, um, you know, via PS Plus, it could find an audience again that would enable it to, 
get a sequel a little bit further down the line. He uses Austin Powers as an example, but hey, Pokemon Snaps out this week, and that's another you know, for sequel to a game that came out over twenty years ago. So I do, I, I agree. I, I just, I, I felt that he kind of, he's kind of right in that day, Days Gone in particular, not all games. Because um, all games, you know, there's tons of games now that just live again. It's like we, um, before this call, we we talked about Cyberpunk, and that's a game that's almost certainly it's done all right anyway. But it's almost certainly going to find a second win because it will it will live on, it will be supported, and the, it will find a, a bigger audience. Hopefully, that's that's the idea behind it. <clears throat> but I, I did feel to him like, um, uh, what he, and you know, he was talking specifically about people that want a sequel to a game and the point is the opportunity's gone and from his perspective it's gone as well because he's left isn't he so it's it's you've got this he wanted a day's gone too he doesn't get one because it didn't make enough money actually i think the bigger problem to change tack completely to my defense into a bit of an attack the problem day's gone had isn't actually that good well and <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's exactly what i wanted to say honestly because that's that's at the, at the core of the of the issue for me is that essentially Let's be honest, it wasn't a great game, which is also why it didn't perform well. And also just the fact you said that it was specifically talking to people uh, who had played the game and were asking for a sequel, that makes it even worse for me. Because not only are you attacking players and feeling entitled, but you're attacking the players who actually bought your game already. And you're basically telling them, this is your fault if we're not getting a sequel. I mean, that's a... Not like yeah, really what you just said. No, 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 yeah, you're, no, you're I right. I just find it, it even worse. seem to blame gamers for what is actually an industry It's problem. directing his anger um, and his frustration you know. at the individuals with the absolute least ability to to change the, the, the fundamental conditions that are creating that situation. He was the director of the game. If, if he, he had more control over Days Gone selling 5 million copies out of the gate or not... Then, you know, Joe Schmo, who's like, hey, I'm going to vote with my wallet. I'm going to support this game that I'm interested in. It's like, okay, you know, if, if Joe Schmo did that and that's 60 extra dollars in, in Sony's pocket, that doesn't, you know, that, that's not moving the needle. And, and like, I'm, I'm all for, um, you know, that, that kind of like personal action voting with your wallet, you know spending money to support things that you believe in but i am under no illusion that it is going to ultimately move the needle uh and for something like this for a triple a blockbuster that's a futile gesture and and for for him to attack people for not making that futile gesture um that i think is is sort of where a lot of the the anger around this would have come from yeah he definitely it's definitely not the fault and it's interesting because I, I liken it to the game that i really loved that didn't get a sequel that i felt i wanted it to was alan wake and it had the same thing it sort of came out at the wrong time and it, and it sort of died away and it never got a it never got a well it had a bit of a, di- a digital thing shortly after it's basically never got that second win that second chance and th- this stuff happens but i think the big problem with marie hits that days gone had is that actually it's a sony game and sony do support games that don't sell very well there's been tons of games that have underperformed that playstation have published sequels to i mean i'm pretty sure little big planet has never been particularly <laughs> i'm pretty sure days gone's bigger than every little big planet game ever released and there's been a dozen of those um not a dozen, but um, but the um, uh, uh, but the problem it had was it was a what six seven out of ten in in a in a lineup full of nines and tens. It just you know it wasn't good enough. It didn't sell well enough. It doesn't get a sequel, and 
Um, I think that's the real reason, um, and it, 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 it's that that's happened. But um, yeah, I also think you know the bit about and a bit that I found actually fascinating was the idea that a subscription subscription business actually might give a game that an Alan Wake, for instance, that actually was really good but just didn't find an audience. Um, a sort of second wind a second chance to find an audience and even if that even if the subscription model doesn't mean it makes money but gives it a big enough audience base that you could get a sequel out of it that's that for me is um that was the interesting part of the conversation it wasn't discussed very much but that was the I'm, interesting I that's going to be the case for dishonored that, that now that dishonored um and like all the arcane games are on uh, on game pass that people will discover that actually these are brilliant please make more of them um, the thing I took away from this whole conversation was it was it it is that demand for sequels. It is that that notion that you know that there's enough people out there that want this sequel that never happened. That it's a missed opportunity for Sega. Uh, Sega, sorry for for Sony. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not a missed opportunity for Sega. Um, like it was going around over the weekend. Eurogame reported um, as as well as other sites. Um, the the petition to have a days gone to approved is now up to eighty, almost eighty thousand signatures. Now I am not the most businessly businessly minded person <laughs> on the team. It's businessly minded It's probably not, but it is now. I am not the most businessly minded t- person on the team. That would probably be Chris. But I'm fairly certain. A game like Days Gone, or indeed any game, needs more than 80,000 people wanting a sequel to warrant the cost of, of development, particularly if it's on a AAA scale. And it kind of, it puts, I always puts me in mind of things like um, Mirror's Edge. For years, people were going on about Mirror's Edge and wanting a sequel because Mirror's Edge is the first Mirror's Edge is great. I really enjoyed that game. It was it was reviewed really well, but it didn't seem to sell enough to warrant EA making another one. So that kind of brand went away for a while. Eventually, I think EA tweaked that there was this kind of cult following around Mirror's Edge and made Mirror's Edge Catalyst, which I have yet to play, but I, is, is on my hard drive and ready to go, and I believe is a bit of a reboot. Um, but that that obviously didn't sell. Well, enough case in point, I didn't buy it. <laughs> Not saying that I single-handedly control the fate of the Mirror's Edge franchise, but I'm an example. I loved the first one. I didn't buy the second one. I don't think enough people bought the second one, and lo and behold, there is not another Mirror's Edge coming, which is why, and I'm random kind of attack on this game but again but i'm not convinced beyond good and evil 2 is going to sell because you're talking about a game that's from like three or four generations i'm sorry marie but it's a game from three or four generations ago that not many people bought i do not want to hear it (laughs) but this is what i mean like the 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 notion of of what the community or what the vocal element of the community want as a sequel, what they want you to make and what they will actually buy are two very different things Shemmy 3 is another example of a game that um, <clears throat> has got a sequel to a very long time ago game. But then, I mean, it got kickstart back, then disappeared. It just didn't didn't do anything after its release. Um, but Beyond Good and Evil is interesting because that's also a prequel. So basically it's a reboot. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, I, I did this actually in an, argue, an article about nostalgia. About how actually the worst, the most, the, dang, the most dangerous thing you can do in trying to tap into that audience of cult followers that really, really want your game is to do a sequel because it's a huge risk. You're spending lots of money, and you might as well just do a remake, and and you'll know that you'll you'll appeal to those people because uh, you never know as well of a sequel if you're going to appeal to those sort of those sort of gamers. Yeah, the thing with with Days Gone though is like I don't feel like it has a cult following. I don't feel like it doesn't. 
there's that it's just a middle of the road game that didn't do really well and as a result won't get a sequel and like buying it at full price or not full price at launch or not at launch i don't feel like that is what like resulted in this situation it all felt really unfair that this guy would go after players for for not making a sequel and I don't know, I'm just finding it really surprising that, as, as Brandon mentioned in his piece and just now as well, that people won't, don't see uh, PS Plus and that type of services as a great opportunity for those games who are middle of the road and that people, like, I, on paper, I could have been interested in Days Gone and very much a PlayStation person. I play a lot of single-player narrative game, and but it looked really meh. <laughs> and, like, I would only play it if I could access it for free through PS Plus or, I was going to say Xbox game, but that's not going to happen in this case. But uh, you know what I mean. So, yeah, it, it just feels completely... I don't know. Not and like I don't know, just weird. I don't. I hated it. It made me very angry. I too, I'm too tired today to be completely <laughs> angry about it. But it, it really is stupid. Really stupid to say things like that. Days gone, and I appreciate I'm coming from my own personal perspective here. But days gone, and again to kind of emphasise this middle of the road is yet another zombie game and yet another open world yeah. game. And in an in in this market at the moment, and even at the time it came out a few years back. There are so many open world games and there are so many zombie games. And there there are better open world games, there are better zombie games. There are better open world zombie games. So I don't understand this surprise. <laughs> well, I think I think I felt if I'm gonna again be slightly kind to the guy, I suspect he's frustrated. He wanted a sequel to a game. Um, Sony Bend, the Bend studio basically had to move from being one type of developer to another in order to find a role within the wider PlayStation ecosystem. Um, it didn't quite work out. They did, they did an okay job. It was not a bad game. They did an okay job, but it wasn't it was not a good enough job. Um, it, not enough people bought it at launch. He doesn't get a sequel, and he's now frustrated. Yeah, I mean, who reason. who doesn't um, <clears throat> who doesn't kind of I do understand that, that yeah that frustration. I mean, who among us on this podcast has not spent way too long and, and, and way too much time and, and effort on a story that really goes in depth on something that is that is that we feel is just completely urgent. And then, you know, you publish it and then no one no one pays attention to it and it just kinda dies. And and then you see, you know, everyone screaming about the problems with games journalism and, and how it's all bunk. And it's like, well I tried to do something good and then no one cared about it. And, and I, I think that's actually like, I, I can totally, totally understand the frustration of, oh, now you people care. Now you people care now that it doesn't matter anymore. And that, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you, you like this now, but you sure didn't like it when it mattered. And I get that frustration, but I also, you know, you, you, you gotta uh, sift through it and figure out where you know, where to aim that anger a little bit better. Yeah, because when, when we write a story that doesn't actually find an audience, we don't then blame it on the people who read it, right? Like, that's that's really the thing that's bothering me. That's what I was saying earlier. Like, why, why go and blame it on the people who actually bought it and complain that they didn't buy it at the right time or at the right price? I'm not going to complain that 100, only 100 people read my article like to them that doesn't make sense to me but i do i do understand that frustration of course like i didn't mean to say that the guy was stupid for saying that i just meant that it came across in in not a good way and like if you want to express that frustration do it but maybe don't do it like that that don't no. think that that really worked no. for him 
No, and the thing is, though, I think the person the person is having a conversation with, I think that's the thing that I find a little bit, one of the things I find a little bit about this is that it really created a bit of a media storm. But actually, he kind of sort of, he didn't back down, but he seemed to sort of soften his opinion a little bit as the conversation went on <laughs> a little bit. And I did think to myself, it was very much like part of a conversation with a, and the and the other guy went well not quite is it and then it became about would you come back and do a sequel if you could and and yeah anyway so one other point about this that um i was just thinking about as everyone was explaining is that the thing about you know any conversation like close to this um is that it, it's a little like um eyebrow raising where it's like we understand where you're coming from what you know with those feelings that you're having but Right now, you know, we we have to remember that consumers, you know, everybody has a, you know, everybody just can't buy everything all at once, right? That That's obviously something that we all know. But especially now, those comments can be taking like, you know, folks have lost their jobs during the pandemic. I, I hate to like bring up real world news, but I, I don't know if you looked outside lately. Some people still aren't back to work. So, you know, when I, I just try to think about like how that comes across and that's why you, you, you have more knee jerk reactions like, oh, how dare you versus more nuanced understandings of where he's coming, which, you know, um, Chris did a really good job of bringing up. But I think it's also important how when you have any type of conversation um, about anything and you pull that as the quote during these times specifically that tends to be the knee-jerk reaction and then you know a lot of people aren't going to be really receptive to that because the knee-jerk reaction is that i haven't had a job for a while money's really tight right now i would have loved to have purchased this game during this time or whatever the case may be or like marie said it, it would have been way cooler if you know you had it on playstation plus and and it, it, it's those things that, you know, it just gets unnecessarily uncomfortable because now you're just like kind of just veering into like the person with the least amount of power, like Brendan mentioned. It's like, hey, I don't have a new job right now. Money's kind of tight. You know what I mean? And it just gets unnecessarily uncomfortable when you think about those things, too. Yeah. And the, the game's expensive. And I think that's, you know, games are expensive. And they're even, I mean, this was obviously yeah. a few years ago. Um, but even then, like, this is an interesting thing is that in the UK, in the first six months of the year, Days Gone was actually the fastest selling game of all the games released that period. And it still sold badly. Um, Far Cry, that, um, I can't remember what Far Cry, the name of the Far Cry game that was released that time, also missed sales. And um, so did uh, uh, The Division 2. That came out in the March of that year. And those games are all, um, <clears throat> are all uh, uh, titles that sort of said, you know, people, people are, were holding off. We started to see that a lot there. People were waiting to see what happens with these games, particularly ones that are unproven, um, ones that are maybe sequels to games that weren't that great in the previous incarnation. Um, because, as you might say, games are a lot of money. People don't have jobs. Um, they're, going, they're only getting more expensive. And I think this is this is a problem. The game, and this is the reason what Brendan was saying about the games industry. You know, finding other ways to monetize games. It doesn't matter if you buy the game at half price. If you know that engagement results in selling merchandise or selling. It's a bit of DLC or anything like that. You know, it's what play Xbox is touting with Game Pass. They've moved their rhetoric from Game Pass boost sales of box games to Game Pass will help you make monetize your games in different ways. Um, Days Gone doesn't fit into that, but it, it, it you know, you're right. It is. It, it feels weird as well. I think what you're saying is that it feels weird to hear someone um, 
talking about buy games at full price <laughs> when right now it's you know uh, the objective is just to get through the week and buy buy a food um, for some people. Next story we want to discuss is Epic Game Store adding the itch.io app uh, to its store. And I'm going to pause at this point and, and clarify that I don't think any of us are 100% confident on it, whether it's itch.io, itch.io, itch.io. No one knows it. We're just going to call it itch. I say itch.io. Itch.io. We're going to call it itch from this point on, or itch.io if Marie so chooses. Um, Epic Games added more apps, uh, third-party apps, to its store. Um, previously, only had Spotify. It's now added things like iHeartRadio, KenShape, Critter, Brave. I don't know what half of those things are, but the one I do recognise is itch.io or itch.io or itch.io. We've done that bit. Um, it's an indie game storefront. Uh, most people know it kind of uh, allows indie developers to kind of upload a game and make it freely available or pay what you want or you know charge a certain price. Um, I see a lot of games kind of and very experimental kind of creative games go up there that don't make it onto Steam. Um, the thing that made this interesting, or certainly the thing that piqued my interest here is, and I may be stating the obvious here because I think there's a take that everyone has had, is like Epic has clear the timing of this. Epic has clearly done this as an example to Apple. So at the time you're listening to this, we are less than a week away from the start of the Epic versus Apple trial, which started back in August with the Fortnite revenues and the direct payment, and they're insisting that Apple should not be running an ecosystem where only they can sell apps or sell in-game transactions, and that other stores should be allowed, that the 30% cut is too high, and here you have Epic Games allowing an indie game storefront onto its own storefront. It is not taking any revenue share from anything sold through its so if someone downloads the Itch uh, app onto their Epic Game Store and buys games through that, none of that money goes to app, um, Epic. Even then, Epic usually only charges 12%, 12% um, for all revenue sold rather than the industry standard 30%. So for me, I kind of saw this like, this is a proper look, Apple. You can quite happily have a, a another storefront within your storefront and not take their money and not charge too much. And it's not harming your business. Look, aren't we wonderful? Uh, there's just, there's a, it, it was a very calculated and very kind of well-timed move on Epic's part, I thought. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's like a PR move, ultimately, though. It's like a public image mm. move because I don't see, I don't see uh, a judge being any more, you know, convinced by their arguments that, you know, look, you can do this. I, I, I mean, they've, they've already said, and Apple has pointed out, like, the way Epic runs the Epic Game Store is not as a sustainable business right now. It's hundreds of millions of dollars in the hole each year. Um, so them, them kind of putting itch onto the service and, and allowing... Uh, developers to to sell without epic taking a cut is like i think it's a good thing i am i am glad to see itch get uh a, a chance at being exposed to more people because i do think it is far and away the indie friendliest storefront around um but this doesn't really do much i think as far as it's in its battle with google and apple it just is another way of kind of showing like Look, this is us um, taking taking up this fight with Google and Apple on principle, and of 
course they are. Like, I think they've already established that to this point because they they wouldn't have have done something to take Fortnite off of the the Google Play and Apple App Stores um, like it was. They, they they wouldn't have they wouldn't have done their own direct payments, you know, knowing that it was going to get pulled. They had the lawsuit ready for when it got pulled. Uh, if if this wasn't a you know principled stand or them trying to to adhere to that, because this is costing them an incredible amount of money to have to have their their social phenomenon Fortnite not be uh, obtainable through through these two major storefronts and mobile and. It's this is I I think when I talked about Tim Sweeney being able to like do off the wall things because he owns more than half the company still Um, like I consider this another example of that. I'm glad it's happening, but I'm not actually sure as to the like the the larger scale significance of it. Yeah, totally. I think that it does feel more like a PR move because um, my immediate reaction personally is like, you know, how much are they going to charge the developers? But, you know, they're not going to. So I thought that, hey, that's great for the industry because um, it really is a good platform to allow developers to, you know, just showcase whatever it is that they're doing. And um, and mainly that was mainly my concern uh, reading reading about the story before seeing anything else. But yeah, going back to what what Brendan was saying, that when you look when you step back and you look at the larger picture, clearly what's happening, um, at least at least to me, and you, you know, all can tell me if I'm wrong, is that they really are positioning themselves as like, hey, this is how how you you should do things. This is how we're helping everyone within the ecosystem. This is how we're helping things to look and be better. Um, they they are still losing money, like we discussed last time. Um, don't know what's going on with that in a larger picture. Um, I hope, 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 hope that they don't change their stance on charging devs of having itch on the Epic Game Store because um, we really all do need that. Um, but yeah, I think they're probably just going to present themselves as like, hey, in our battle with Apple, this is how we're doing things. And they're probably going to pose it where that, logically speaking, quote unquote, yeah, you know what? Yeah, things should look like this. I, I can understand where you're coming from. You're not doing things that, that's hurting the other party here. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think it really does feel like a bigger PR move kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely agree with you and with what Brendan said, too. It's very much, I mean, the, the way I see it is very much Epic being like, look at us, we're the good guys. Apples are the bad guys, just so it's clear. Like, I, it feels a bit like that. I mean, I don't have a lot to say about all of this, I'll be completely honest. I, at first, I was a bit like, mm. I didn't really see the point. I feel like itch as its own identity and its own following that it doesn't need Epic to exist and to survive, uh, but I may be completely wrong in that, and I don't think, I think it would, yeah, it would probably, it probably benefits them a lot um, to have that visibility, so it's can only be a good thing for them. I am worried about where this partnership could go, um, and what it could mean for Itch and for developers using that platform, but at the moment, it does feel like a win-win situation. I don't think it's that big um, a deal in, in terms of like the 
the situation with Apple. I don't like. I don't. I don't see that influencing what's going to happen in a big way. Again, could be completely wrong about that. Um, so it's a very much a wait and see situation as far as I see it. I don't know. Again, kind of going back to what we were saying about Epic on a previous week. Um, it's it's not that sort of thing that's going to suddenly get people using the Epic Game Store. The, the Epic Game Store still doesn't have that that kind of yeah that killer engagement or retention thing. Um, and you know, yeah, kind of best case scenario is the people who are logging in once a week, like Danielle, to get her free game, um, <laughs> might have a look and see if there are any cheap or interesting or free indie games, and might expand their horizons. Not saying that Danielle doesn't. I'm sure Danielle plays a, a wide variety of games, but those sort of people like might might log in and yeah, well, maybe I'll try something different. But equally, they might not. They might log in download their free game, play that for five minutes, and then go back to whatever platform they usually play. Just to add on to that as well, um, I, I think the itch partnership would work a little bit better if there was something, like some kind of curation on the Epic Store as well, instead of just, you know, because I will open it and I will see the itch is there, but I might not necessarily click there to look for anything. Whereas if Epic put a little bit more effort into showcasing the stuff that's that's on there, um, instead of just providing a click-through that might not attract people anyway, that would be quite beneficial. Just having it there kind of feels like the bare minimum that they could be doing mm. to support indie developers. And I think they've got the capacity to to certainly do more positive things, but it does feel very much like, a, look, we're helping. And it's like, <laughs> you, you're not really. <laughs> have, we, have we talked on the show much about where we each think the uh, Epic, Apple, Google fight should uh, come down? Like, like, how we think it should be resolved. I don't think we have. And do you know what? Now is the time, given that the uh, trial begins. They should compete in <laughs> Fortnite. That's how they should do it. Just play Fortnite together. Tim versus Tim. App Store Royale. I like it. <laughs> um, no, we haven't. But So, Brendan, lead that discussion. Where do you think this should go, then? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think I think Google and Apple, the the thirty percent revenue share and the the control that they have over the platform, like I think thirty percent is uh, kind of obscene, given um, the what they actually do these these days. Like I, I I don't think like that seems way too high to me. But I don't know how you. Um, kind of slice the situation to not allow Google and Apple to to charge exorbitant revenue share rates, but at the same time uh, preserve a system like you know the PlayStation Network or Xbox Live Marketplace or Microsoft Store, whatever they're calling it, um, and and let let those console makers have their own walled gardens where they determine what games get on there and, you know, take their, their cut of, of everything. Um, yeah. Like, like whatever Epic wins in any kind of like legal, uh, battle here threatens to completely upend uh, a whole lot of the games industry. And, and the current models. And I'm not saying that the current models are necessarily good or the way they should be. Um, but I'm saying that that would be a tremendous upheaval from what we all understand to be the norm. And I don't know. Um, I don't know exactly how the, the, the games industry looks or, or how the console market functions even 
if all of a sudden uh, anyone can sell games for any of these systems and not give the console makers a cut of it. Yeah, it's the it's the console implications that I'm I'm most concerned about. Like, I seem to recall from from various reports we've done on this um, story, it comes down to whether or not the courts rule on what should be handled, what mod- what models should be available on a general purpose device versus a specialized device. So, video game consoles are clearly a specialized device. There is a distinction between a Nintendo, a PlayStation, and Xbox compared to your smartphone or your PC, which are general purpose devices. They are not specifically made for gaming. They are made for various different purposes, and that opens them to various different marketplaces. And so, I can I can see. I can see Epic's absolutely see Epic argument for the thirty percent cut being too high. That's not an issue at all. I absolutely see the argument for wanting the option to do direct payments. That's not an issue at all. Um, the ability to add other stores, I, you know, ironically, like as much as I'm, I'm liking, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that similarly to you, to you, Brandon. I'm not sure I want other stores available on the consoles. I think it would be interesting. I, you know, there's part of me is like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be good if I had Xbox? And yeah, right. If, if it's too expensive in the Microsoft store, I can just fire up the epic game store or gog or Uplay or whatever and see if there's a there's a, dif- a discount and this goes back to the earlier conversation about whether or not we buy things at full price but i mean like i i i was on iphone for pretty much the from from when smartphones became available until just before christmas last year i was in t- i was on iphone purely because i understood how they worked and i didn't understand the android ecosystem i am now on android i am now like ah oh, i can sideload apps i can i can download other app stores and download other apps not giving money to google but I don't. I just use Google Play because I know that that's the default store. I know that that works and I know what I'm getting. So as much as the option to have other stores available on general purpose devices is a, is a good thing, not necessarily something that everyone's going to use. So, yeah, I, I'm intrigued. I, 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 okay, my main prediction for this would be that actually not much is going to change. I don't think Epic is going to convince the courts or the jury or whoever's making these rules that Apple is doing wrong. I think Apple is doing, there may be slight changes, like maybe Apple will be, you know, forced to kind of take that 30% down, but I don't think Apple's going to have to open its ecosystem to other stores. I don't think that's going to then therefore spill over onto the consoles. I think this is going to be a very loud, very very interesting argument that ultimately doesn't change much but if it does change things it's going to change things a lot like brendan says yeah um the the thought that i had regarding this is that i i obviously haven't been reported as much as everyone here but given my business background from like what I see, like 30, 30%, you know, in the back of my head, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's like, you know, that seems a lot for for me to essentially be asking you, say, hey, can me and my band use your venue for this amount of time, you know, just so people can know that I'm here, that that that's how I'm processing it, right? And like like you just mentioned, James, I don't think a lot's going to change because Apple, we, we also have to step back and remember Apple has been doing this for quite some time now. They've built this thing that they are <laughs> for a lot of time. And I'm sure someone, you know, we don't know how many people have probably tried to raise the same issue and brought it to court and it's been smacked down. We, we probably will never really know how many times that's been had, right? And I don't really think things are going to change on that front. It will probably be like, hey, you know, they tried and ultimately this is what happened and we just move on. 
um, that that's my whole thought process behind it. Actually, one of the old one of the old uh, this is coming to me now. One of the old things about Steam and whether or not Steam had a PC monopoly, which everyone used to be very got nervous when you ever used the word monopoly, was the fat argument was that it didn't have a monopoly because um, there's an entire industry. You know, people don't have to buy games via Steam. They can they were buying games at uh, uh, Walmart. They're buying games at Dixon's, and it's the same with the console argument potentially in that the whole control that xbox and playstation nintendo have over their own over their own devices specialist devices is the fact that you can there is competition for pricing out there on most not the digital only games but a lot of those those products anyway in in the retail space it's not really the case it's not the case on iphone it's not the case on on steam um it's not really a a point that's just an extra bit of flavor um around the sort of console element to it but um it's interesting because I think what interests me is uh, you know, whether or not Epic are able to make the money themselves or Apple's able to make the money themselves, whether it benefits indies or not. It's things like, um, you know, we've got these game, you've got these street game streaming services and everything wanting to stream their content via um, Apple's, uh, um, via iPhone and use those devices. And Apple will want, you know, that kind of uh, ability for those for those companies to be able to to do that um i haven't actually looked into the business model of it i should probably look into it about how netflix uh, how apple monetizes it makes money out of um apps like that but it's um i suspect they're all going to be individually negotiated but i'll be interesting i mean interesting every time i speak to epic now about anything um they always say oh sorry we're not you know they, they weren't able to come to gi live last week because they're too busy on this court case so much energy is being spent on it um it's 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 uh they they really it really matters to them to the point where they are hurting themselves quite badly in an effort to to defeat it and i'd be interested to see how epic if epic don't win how uh how they react and how, what that means for them but anyway yeah if if this were any other company they'd have they'd have cut some sort of special you know side deal with with google and apple to to lower their you know the the revenue share uh, specific to Fortnite or something, or, or if you have a court case like this, then publicly traded companies will just settle it, right? Um, but with with Sweeney in control of Epic and uh, treating these things as like a matter of principle, uh, that I think is where where you start to get into the the very unpredictable um, levels of just like how how much of a risk is he willing to take and and how much of the company's uh time and money is he is he willing to to sink into fighting this this battle because they're they're fighting it in like a number of countries as well this is not just a a court case in the u.s it's it's you know worldwide and and they're fighting on every front and it's just like it's it's not something i can remember seen before because once companies get to this size it seems like they're they're either um publicly traded or just not interested in these kind of battles at all like even valve which i would normally kind of ascribe like a a certain uh will do things on libertarian principle here and there um when when they had a a really just grotesque game put up on the storefront that that apparently met their not illegal or trolling um criteria 
it caused enough of a stir that they said like, nope, nope, we got to pull the game from the store um, just because of unforeseen, you know, unpredictable possible outcomes because it, it was going to be too much of a liability for them to have that that game on their store. But uh, this, like, I, I want to see if, if, if Epic and Tim Sweeney will blink here when, when the, the cost gets high enough to them. thing to discuss are the Assassin's Creed Mr. Men books. Now, I made my feelings on these quite clear. If you are unaware of these, um, Ubisoft announced last week a number of kind of multimedia spin-offs are like young adult novels, graphic novels, comic series, a narrative podcast, a webcomic, all these kind of additional Assassin's Creed stories that expand the lore and expand the franchise. And then quietly in a separate announcement, they announced a series of six short stories that are going to be Mr. Men books with characters like Ezio, Eivor and Cassandra turned into little Mr. Men characters and they will be exactly like the Mr. Men books. They're actually written by the author's uh, son, Adam Hargreaves, who's kept that franchise going for the last um, however many years since his, since his father passed away. And I think this is ridiculous, boring on disgusting. I wrote an opinion piece about why I don't think that an 18-rated games franchise is suitable fare for a long-running children's series, which, in my experience, is often read to children who cannot even read themselves, including my four-year-old son. Uh, Obviously, the internet has responded. I have tried not to read too many of the comments, but I've seen many people saying, you know, the usual stuff like, oh, well, you know, parents are in charge of, of... what you know what their kids consume and uh you know it's not like kids are going to accidentally read these assassin's creed mr men books and you know oh well i i had a i i grew up watching the robocop and the aliens cartoon series and i'm okay um i have yet to see an argument that convinces me as to why these mr men books should exist as i can i'm going to try not to repeat too much of the um the, the opinion piece but as i kind of put in it like these 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 um books only exist to appeal to existing fans or to target new ones and that means they are by extension they are targeting children they want toddlers to be fans of assassin's creed and that just doesn't sit right with me no it doesn't does it it's it's a weird one. I, I can't get my head around this. Like, I obviously love Assassin's Creed. And I I mean, obviously, not obviously, but you guys know, I guess. Um, and I can't... I, I It's not new for Ubisoft to develop a lot of different uh, merchandising concepts around Assassin's Creed. I think there's not one thing they haven't tried. But honestly, this one, I'm like, mm, <laughs> really, though? Like, I, I don't understand how how this happens and how they thought this was a thing that made sense. Um, and I know that they, they present, I mean, actually, no, I was going to say they're presenting it as this is actually for adults, but they're not. They're actually in, in their little uh, PR blurb thingy. They actually said it was both for kids and adults or whatever, however they phrased it. And I don't, I don't quite understand why, I, I understand the appeal of trying to, to get an audience that is not currently playing your game. But 
they know that's not gonna happen. I don't. I, toddlers are not gonna start playing Assassin's Creed. Like what? It, I don't understand. I do not understand. Yeah, it's it's it. it, it well, the, the process is it's. I don't not defending it. <laughs> clear for anyone who's going to be doing it. Um, is um is is the idea of sort of creating an element of brand awareness that when they do are old enough to play the game, they're familiar with it and they're they're excited to be able to play it. And it, it's it's. It's sort of a long time. I mean, I, I liken it. It's interesting because I, I was I was quite disgusted by this, and I realised I didn't have an issue with Doctor Who because Doctor Who's one of my favourite things, and um, Doctor Who's a family TV show primarily. It's a little scary. It's a little violent, but it is most. It's it's, it's you know six o'clock on a Saturday evening in the UK. That's sort of what time it airs. But it's not for young kids. Not not for really young kids. But the Doctor Who created a show for young kids called the Sarah Jane Adventures, which was which was which is they toned it down and the, the violence and the scariness. They just they sort of made it a lot more. That was on the CBBC channel. But on the other side of that, because also Doctor Who was a little bit too tame for adults, they created an adult version of the show called Torchwood, which um, basically Doctor Who with sex and violence in it. It was a bit tonally odd, to be honest. But the um, got better as the series went on. Um, but I actually think to myself, that's interesting because it's it's not it's not the same thing because it started off as a family show and then it went in the, in two different directions to try and encapsulate sort of everybody and appeal to different groups. But it has that same sort of effect, right? If you come in via the Sarah Jane Adventures, it's trying to then date you to Doctor Who and it wants to take you to Torchwood and 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 <clears throat> I understand the marketing thinking behind it, but we live in a world where that content is so accessible um, that uh, what you're doing is you're promoting. It's just, you know, it's not like kids are going to find it very hard to, you know, play, um, to play with their alien toys. I'm going to say, I gave an example um, when I was, um, uh, when I was a kid, my mate, James Burton, he, uh, he had all the alien figures that from, from, well, it was aliens and they were so cool. Oh, we, we thought they were so cool playing with them in the playground. They're absolutely cool. And he invited us all around his house to watch the films. Right. And I was scarred for weeks after that. I was about, I don't know how old I was, eight. And um, well, I think my parents found out and they weren't impressed. Not that my mum's not too issue with violence, really, but she wasn't particularly impressed that we and I asked to watch Alien. Um, but it was, um, but it's that sort of thing, you know, kids are curious people. You encourage them to be curious and interested and to find out, oh, what's this about? You know, where can I find out more about this? Oh, it's this, or oh, this sounds cool. And so I don't, not defending it, but I, I sort of, I know what the marketing strategy behind it, but I just don't think it, it, it you does, know. it does work. My, because you're now bringing back to mind like my, my own experiences. So, I, and not quite um, aliens and being not able to sleep for a week. But, um, you know, if you're going to drop in Doctor Who, I'm going to drop in James Bond. My first experience of James Bond was <sighs> the James Bond Junior cartoon. <laughs> Brendan, just enjoy it. It's okay. My first experience of James Bond was the James Bond Junior cartoon series, which was about James Bond's nephew taking on all the Bond villains. And it's a Saturday morning cartoon. It is sanitized to hell. There's no gun. Well, there might be guns where they never go off no one gets shot there's no death or explosions there's certainly no sex in it um and that was my introduction to the franchise my dad actually caught me watching a video of it. it was like what on earth are you watching i was like i, I think I, admittedly i was probably a bit too old to still be enjoying james bond jr by this point and i said like oh this is james bond jr he's like no and he turned over the channel it happened to be a saturday afternoon where there was like um uh, one of the old Connery films on and I watched like the second half of From Russia With Love and that's how I got into Bond. The difference there is, A, I was introduced to the older part of the franchise by my father when he thought it was appropriate, or at least when my mum was out. Um, and 
crucial and the, the, the cartoon series was when I say cartoon I mean one of those cartoon series that apply, appeals to like an 11 year old or a 12 year old or maybe a 10 year old I don't mean something that appeals to toddlers I there needs to be an age limit on how young we are aiming these mature franchises uh, you know, at, at potential audiences. I am not the person to decide where that line is. That line may be somewhat subjective, but I'm pretty sure three-year-olds, four-year-olds, the Mr. Men audience is too young if the core of your franchise is an 18-rated game. After I read your piece and I was thinking a little more about this, I'm thinking to myself, it's like, okay, so I have an alternative universe self that has a four or five-year-old. They pick up this great book, and I'm like, you know, sure, whatever. And then my child comes to me and it's like, hey, Dad, I want to play Assassin's Creed. I'm like, I'm sorry, child. You want to do what? <laughs> and I'm thinking in my head is that, you know, one of Ubisoft's most recent releases was... Um, phoenix uh mortal rise oh, well, i'm probably saying the title wrong i'm so sorry phoenix mortal rising um immortal that title rising. Oh, thank you i'm so sorry immortal phoenix, right. Right. thank you so much so that title for example i think it would have made probably more sense if they went that route for that title because it's very colorful there's a lot of humor in it hmm. um it seems to be geared towards um younger kids you know uh, but assassin, the whole Assassin's Creed thing, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, a child's going to read this and they're going to ask about that. And everyone to play it's like, I'm not going to hand a control over to my child to play a game where they can snap someone's neck. That's not age appropriate. And again, I'm thinking about, I again, you know, Chris mentioned, you know, the brand awareness and, and raising the end. You know, I understand all of that, right? But again, I'm thinking about the parent who who's just gonna sit there and turn their head and it's like why is this a thing why would sure my child can read the book and they don't understand that this is a backdrop to a major bloody battle in the game and then you know uh, that that's where my whole thought process was going it's like why this this is like kids are going (laughs) to be exposed to all this stuff anyways as they get older you know by the time the kids 10 12 years old they're not just watching well, Saturday morning cartoons don't really exist as a thing anymore, right? But they're not just watching stuff that's aimed only at kids. You know, they're they're probably watching some primetime TV or, or, you know, T for Teen rated kind of content. And within that content, they're going to be exposed to advertising for a much broader range of, of subjects. You know, they're they're going to... They're going to see commercials for R-rated movies, M-rated games. They they will know if Assassin's Creed is still around in the long haul. They will know what it is. And seeing it rated, you're seeing it advertised to older people than what they are will probably make them want to engage with it more than having it targeted directly at them. Which is one of the things that, like, gets me about this is that it feels so completely unnecessary because you you advertise to to kids when they're when they're this young and that is it's it's gross <laughs> you have you have an m-rated series it's got it's about assassins that's in the title killing people is totally one of the main things of the game yeah 
and you are going out of your way to put it in front of four-year-olds and five-year-olds. Like, yes, parents have a duty to, you know, monitor the stuff that their their kids consume and and to, you know, not give them access to the to really, you know, gross or objectionable stuff as they see fit. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we need people on the other side of this that are actively working to get their kids super into these 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 franchises especially when those kids will discover and be into those franchises on their own just through the normal marketing that you do to you know to much more reasonable audiences or much more reasonably aged audiences for your content so it's 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 like it's it's like all all marketing is a certain level of gross games marketing might be a step above that usually but this is like this is just really going for the gold and and out of out of your way above and beyond the call of duty grossness in in games marketing and uh, for what i think i think i think i'd find it a bit better if they acknowledged and just went for what they're actually trying to do with this, which I mean, I'm assuming they're trying to do the same thing they did with the Doctor Who series of Mr. Men books, which I've got in that the person they're trying to target with those is me um, because I'm read them when I was younger and I have nostalgia for them. And now look, they've done them in my favorite characters and I get to sort of, you know, and you like it would, there were the stuff that was on display at comic cons and stuff like that. They're, they're, they're sort of, there's a bit of a nostalgia item, a novelty item. There's a series, an entire series of ducks, like rubber ducks, based around Fallout and Dark Souls. Like it's the same thing. It's not really aimed at, it's not aimed at kids to put in the bar for them. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's aimed at sort of young, it's aimed at adults with a, with a bit of nostalgia. But I, the point is, they're not, that's not what they've said. They're, they've said that this is for young and adults alike. And it's like, uh, do, yeah. say it's for adults and aim it at adults and put it, but, and like, like Lego does. Like Lego doesn't pretend that they're, they're, they've got toys in their in their range which are not aimed at kids you know just acknowledge that that's what you're doing um and and go for it rather than hedge your bets and hope that maybe some kids might buy the Ezio book as well i don't know if assassin's creed's named by the way in any of them i've, I've looked at the front covers of them and i know it just says the name of the characters but it does um, yeah so i don't know like, yeah the, the, we haven't seen the books we don't know if his name but like but the, the link is still there the link yeah. is, is still there yeah, that is, yeah. and you know what there's probably I and mean, obviously a kid's probably not going to read this but there's almost certainly a copyright page in there that says you know Ezio is a copyrighted character owned by Ubisoft and the Assassin's Creed franchise Assassin's Creed is a blah blah and all, you know, all that legalese that's probably in there somewhere at the very least even if the actual logo is not there the least negative thing I can say about this is that it shows Ubisoft is bloody optimistic about how well Assassin's Creed is going to fare because let's let's be generous and assume that Ubisoft genuinely intends, right, we're going to introduce a four-year-old to Ezio, Eivor, Cassandra, but we're not going to let them play the games. We're going to introduce them to the characters in a child-friendly and appropriate way, and then when they're old enough, they can play these games and get back, back, you know, get engaged with these characters that they remember from when they're a child. That is assuming, then, that not only is Assassin's Creed still going to be going in the best part of 20 years from now, but also that these characters, specifically, that Ezio, Eivor, and Cassandra, is still going to be going 20 years from now and it's like you know what yeah i'm guessing it's more like six or seven years from now <laughs> <laughs> i was going to say that but the thing the thing is also knowing that people if people who if the people who were born in the year assassin's creed came out are now 15 14 
um, the first one. So, you know, possible. Mm. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I tried to step back from this a little bit and I mentally sort of put Mr. Men and Assassin's Creed on a on a mental board and I was like, right, how do we get from here to here? And the only sort of slight justification that I could think of was what Chris said, where it's literally a novelty item just marketed weirdly. Or um, the last couple of Assassin's Creed games had um, those kind of like exploration modes where you could go into the game but not do any of the combat or the story you could just kind yeah, of the wander discovery around tools, and explore yeah. the environment and maybe ubisoft kind of has this plan where assassin's creed kind of has a more educational kind of historic kids orientated thing going on where they can go into the game to do that do you know what i'd, I'd be up for that if if ubisoft started doing like uh, essentially the assassin's creed equivalent of the horrible histories books I'd be okay with yeah. that. But those weren't aimed at toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is still that, isn't there? <laughs> Interestingly, um, I did hear that there's a Call of Duty in the works. That, well, it was in the works. It's a while ago I heard this now. Um, that was aimed at much younger... No, I'm not talking toddlers. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, you were talking uh, but, like but, kind of the Fortnite audience. Kind of like... Um, was it Fortnite, Battlefield yeah. Heroes? Way yeah. back in the day, there was that because this is, yeah, it's been done before. Like, like you know, publishers trying to to, to create a, a younger version of their their mature franchise to kind of yeah, kind of nurture that that kind of next next generation of fan base. Because yeah, EA did that Battlefield Heroes. I think you're right. I've, I remember hearing about a kind of a, a younger focused Call of Duty. But again, that still would have been a, if we're talking the age brackets again and looking at the Peggy ratings. Like you're talking about converting like a, a an 18 rated series or or spinning off an 18 rated series in a 16 rated or a 12 rated way and that is i'm going to say acceptable tolerable it's it, it's different that's that's different it's <laughs> different. It, like as i say in the piece like there's a line that needs to be drawn and i'm pretty sure mr men is far beyond where that line is <laughs> That is all we have time for this week. Hang on, are we not going to talk about how great Ratchet and Clank looks? We can. Oh, it looks nice. Ratchet and Clank looks, looks superb. Nice. Yeah. Um, See, that is... that's, that's... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that, that is one of the reasons why I'm starting to really regret not owning a PS5 or not even trying to own a PS5. That is When, it, when that's out, it's like, yeah, maybe I need to join this queue of people who will never get a PS5. <laughs> that's a franchise I would hand to my... Well, I would wait until like they're like, not eight or nine maybe i'm like okay explosions go boom cutesy critter yeah. is your hero sure this is fine <laughs> yeah oh yeah i'm doing i'm doing my my, my son my, my four-year-old son is into video games i mean he plays like you know the lego games or mario or whatever and i'm like i i've got the the ratchet and clank remake on ps4 i'm like right when's the right time to introduce him to this because this is fun this is great fun um, but it's it's not yet. Chris has completely derailed my outro there, so I'm gonna I'm gonna power through with it now anyway. That is all we have time to discuss this week. Um, we're gonna be back next Monday with your usual news show. We're also gonna be back on Friday. We are gonna start um, 
putting out kind of some bonus episodes. These are not the five games of. These are not game developers playlists. We are currently in the process of arranging new guests for those. And we are going to start putting out some of the audio from the, the sessions from the recent GI Live online. Um, this was an event we held a couple of weeks ago. We had so many talks and so many kind of interviews and panels and stuff. And we're kind of taking the best ones and releasing them in podcast form so that if you missed them and you didn't get a chance to watch, uh, you know, watch them or if you hadn't had a chance to watch them on YouTube because they're all there, you can listen to them as you travel or as you work or just listen to them in the background without having to worry about the video element. Um, so that will be the first one of those will be on your podcasting platform of choice on Friday. You can also find all our previous episodes, including Five Games Off and Game Developers Playlist there. You can get more news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. No, no, it's okay. It's just fine. Sorry, I just, I don't know. You're having a really, really tiring day, aren't you, Marie? Are you okay? I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have such a bad headache today. I'm, I, I apologize. I'm, I'm listening. I'm here.